You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Morning, church. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm so excited to be preaching today as we continue our fruit teaching series. We're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the day is peace. Peace be with you, and also with you. And, with you. and uh, I want to start off uh, just by kind of doing a little bit of a self-assessment. We did this a little bit last week, but in 2019, Gallup released a World Emotions Report of over 140 countries, essentially asking the question, how are you doing to the country? And uh, so I want to just take us through some of the questions that were on that survey. You don't have to give yourself a letter grade or anything like that, but just ask yourself these questions. The first set of questions are from the positive experience index. The first question is this, did you feel well-rested yesterday? Saturday, I hope so. Uh, Did you feel well-rested? Did you relax yesterday? The next question is, were you treated with respect all day yesterday? And most of these, kind of think about like how much of the day, right? Percentage-wise, did you have maybe a moment of respect and then the rest of the day, it just all went downhill? Third question, did you smile or laugh a lot yesterday? Did you smile or laugh a lot? Think about just your, your facial expressions, how much laughter do you have in your life? Did you learn or do something interesting yesterday? You know, a lot of parents say you can learn something new every day. Did you? Did you learn something new yesterday? Or did you do something that was interesting? And then the last question on the positive uh, experience index is did you experience enjoyment during the day yesterday? We're going to look at peace today. We talked about joy last week, and as you'll see, the fruit of the Spirit are really interconnected. It's difficult to isolate them from one another. So how how positive was your experience yesterday? And then let's look at the negative questions, okay? The negative experience index is, did you experience physical pain during a lot of the day yesterday? Maybe you have just an, an ailment, something wrong with your body, or maybe it's physical pain as a result of internal manifestation of internal things going on. Did you experience worry during a lot of the day yesterday? And maybe if yesterday was like a great day, maybe think about if you took this on a Wednesday or whatever, like in the middle of your work week. Uh, did you experience sadness during a lot of the day yesterday? How sad are you in your life? Did you experience stress during a lot of the day yesterday? Did you experience anger during a lot of the day yesterday? And if right now you're kind of feeling bummed out, you're not alone. Uh, In fact, America, the United States, uh, was one of the countries that had some of the highest rates of anxiety and stress and anger. In fact, USA uh, scored just behind Greece as one of the most stressed out countries in the entire world. Uh, Greece uh, ranked number one with 59% of people saying they were stressed and USA was 55%. So I guess if you wanna go on a vacation, don't go to Greece. USA, when it comes to anxiety, is six points above the global average. The global average is 39%, which is still quite high. Uh, The USA was 
45%. If you want to know what country you should visit, uh, the country that ranked highest on the positive experience index was Paraguay. So go to Paraguay, I guess. A lot of happy people there. They ranked, uh, they had a score of 85, and the lowest, unsurprisingly, was Afghanistan with 43, the lowest on the positive experience index. And according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, uh, 40 million adults in America struggle with anxiety or anxiety-related mental illness. And uh, that number actually gets higher when you look at 13 to 18-year-olds. So these are people who don't have to worry about car insurance or getting an oil change or their taxes, and yet our children, the rate is 25%, one in four dealing with stress and anxiety. There's something about the digital age, there's something about the way that the world is today. And uh, millennials, so my generation, is the most stressed and worried, and Gen Z, which is the next generation, is the angriest generation. So congratulations if you're Gen Z. <laughs> and by the way, all of those stats that I just shared with you are pre-2020, pre-COVID. And as the surveys are coming in, right, still, you know, it takes time for research and, and global studies to be done. As the surveys are coming in, according to the Mayo Clinic, every single one is showcasing skyrocketing rates in mental health, mental illness, and anxiety. Let's take a deep breath, everyone. <sighs> don't wanna, I promise I don't, didn't want to start this way to overwhelm you. But the reality is, you know, personally, these, thi- these aren't just stats or, or cultural things, global things. Personally, these are things that we deal with on an individual basis. I went to the dentist a couple of weeks ago, and I'm a, I'm a fairly healthy guy. I eat okay. I, I exercise regularly. I've never had any, any troubles with, uh, with blood pressure, but they take your blood pressure as part of like the kind of routine, see how you're doing. Uh, the lady asked you know, if my primary care physician is still my primary care physician, I was like, I, I've been to him one time a few years ago. And then she took my blood pressure and she was like, you might want to schedule a physical because your blood pressure is high. And I was like, what? And the only thing I can think of is stress, right? Worry. And I was like, man, you know, and, and these, are, these are individual problems and things that we experience in our everyday life. But the good news of the gospel is that God offers you peace. And I think peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit that is maybe the most desirable or even needed in our cultural moment. How can we have peace at a time like this? The Greek word for peace is Irene. If you know someone named Irene, I had a great grandma, Irene. Their name means peace. And there's really kind of three main categories on what's called the semantic range. You think of the range of meaning for this word in the New Testament. The first one is maybe what you tend to think about is inner tranquility. It's like that, I feel at peace. Think of someone like sitting cross-legged on a pillow and just they've cleared their mind, they're at peace, right? Something like that. Relaxing in a hammock, drinking out of one of those coconut. I don't know where you get those coconut drinks, by the way. I've never had one of those with a little umbrella, but... The inner tranquility. The, the, the second one would be, I'm going to describe it as national security. And I'm not just thinking about uh, a time of peace versus war, although that's part of it. But it's just things are stable in the country that you live. 
You know, things like there's not a pandemic or the economy's strong or all of the other things that are going wrong at our day and age. And the third uh, kind is what we can call relational harmony. This is what it means to be at peace in your relationships. You're not experiencing a high degree or high level of conflict. And when we read about peace in the New Testament, it could be any one of these or sometimes multiple of these different uh, ideas. And today, I want to talk about how you can experience more peace, specifically the inner kind of peace, but even the relational peace, as we'll see, they're all very connected. God wants to grow peace in your life. We're going to be looking at one of the great, what I think is the, the greatest passages about peace in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 4. Uh, it's a very popular, very famous passage. We're going to pick up in verse 2, but if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to learn what the Apostle Paul has to say to the church in Philippi about peace. Starts off in verse two, Philippians four. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Uh, Verses two and three may not be as familiar to you, but I think the context is really significant. Paul has written the letter to the church in Philippi from prison, so we have to keep this in mind. He's in a state of turmoil and tumult and suffering in his own life. And here at the end, he calls out two women, Euodia and Syntyche. Now, first thing to note is this is yet another example, and there's numerous examples of females leading in the early church and making a difference. So shout out to the ladies in the room, right? And yet, the way that Paul calls them out is not necessarily to honor them, He's calling them out because they're disagreeing with one another. So imagine that. Imagine it's a Sunday sermon, and I'm like, hey, by the way, as a side note to everything I'm going to preach, I want to bring two of you up here up front, and I want to, let's, let's reconcile. Let's deal with this conflict in front of everyone, right? How comfortable would you, would you feel about that? It, 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 I mean, you could say it like this. The conflict between these two prominent women in Philippi was so severe, they made it into the Bible. <laughs> they made it into the Bible. So they went down in history, right? And the reality is, we can't talk about inner peace, that inner tranquility, separated or isolated from relational harmony. I mean, think about this for a moment. How much of the stress that you experience is caused by discord in your relationships? How much of the, the, the anxiety, the worry, the stress that we experience in our soul actually comes from unresolved conflict? Think about a fight that you had with your spouse. Think about raising your children, trying to discipline them in love, trying to raise them in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord, and they just blew up at you, and it did not go as planned. Think about a difficult coworker. Think about a difficult boss to work for. Think about a comment that someone said to you, and you know what they meant by that comment, or maybe the comment wasn't bad, but it was the look. And you're playing mind games, you're like, I know what that look meant. Right? And you're kind of imagining the problem, the relational problem, or think about social media, which was literally designed for connection, 
but really is being leveraged as a place for conflict, relational conflict. I think there's something in the digital age that we live in that is causing the younger generation to experience higher levels of stress and anxiety. And that's why what Paul does here is so significant, to call these these two women out and to call on them to agree in the Lord is how he says it. We could say it like this, to make peace with one another. And notice the reasoning that he gives for this. At the end, he says, because your names are written in the book of life. So he's using eschatology end times as a reason for reconciliation. It's almost this idea of you gotta keep the end in mind. There are things that you think are such a big deal now. Will those things matter to you 10,000 years from now? The new heavens and the new earth. The book of life is referenced a few times in the New Testament. One of the most prominent is Revelation 20, verse 12, where it says this. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Now, something that's a little bit of a misconception about end times is that some will be judged and some will be saved. But if you listen to the teachings of Jesus or you read carefully, you'll recognize everyone will be judged according to what they have done, and some will be saved. So just because you're saved doesn't mean that the things that you do in your life don't matter or they won't be made known or you won't be at all held accountable to those things. So when Paul is referencing the book of life, he's saying, okay, you're both co-laborers with me in the gospel, that's great. Not to take away from the ministry and the work that you've done. You're still held accountable in how you treat one another in the Lord. You're still held accountable for the kind of relationship that you have with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about this. Do you, do you really think when you're seated at the marriage supper of the Lamb that you're going to look next to you and say, I think that person voted uh, as a Democrat or Republican. Could I get a new seat? <laughs> Do you really think that some of the squabbles that are going on, not not that there's any problem with having strongly held convictions or beliefs or anything like that, but do you really think when you're seated before the presence of God and all of his glory that you're still gonna be worried about how effective cloth masks are or not? And you're actually gonna break relationships in heaven over the kind of things that people very realistically these cultural issues, the buzz of conversation that's going on, people are breaking relationships with one another over disagreements on these things. And so think about, keep the end in mind. Will you still be bitter in heaven? Will you still be holding a grudge in heaven? And the reality is, here's my point, peacemakers experience more peace. Jesus in Matthew 5 calls us to be peacemakers, true peace, right? To deal with conflict in a healthy way, in a loving way, to speak the truth, but to always speak the truth in love. And as a peacemaker, someone who actually seeks to resolve conflict, someone who, the opposite of a peacemaker would be easily angered, or sometimes in in the New Testament called quarrelsome. Are you someone who goes around looking for a fight, or are you someone who diffuses? We can call a non-anxious presence, that when you're in the room, less squabbling happens because you're a peacemaker. You find common ground. You speak with gentleness. And so the reality is you can forgive that person. You can show that person grace. 
You can be the, the first one to initiate, send the text message. Are we good? Question mark. Can we meet up for coffee? Can we reconcile? And as a peacemaker, you will experience internally more peace. I love what Paul says in Romans 12, 18. If possible, notice there's two qualifiers, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And this is just an acknowledgement. It's not always possible, right? You can reach out, you can ask for forgiveness, you can say, I'm sorry, you can do all of that, and the other person may not be willing to budge, but you will actually be able to sleep better at night knowing you've done everything in your power to live peaceably with all, to be a peacemaker. Or in Colossians 3.15, where Paul writes, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. You realize we are called to peace? We're, we're called to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to be the dominant thing in our hearts. In the next few uh, verses, he's gonna use this, this phrase, let your reasonableness be known. That word reasonableness can actually be translated gentleness. Oh, the fruit of the spirit are interconnected. If you're someone who's gentle, fruit of the spirit. If you're someone who's loving, fruit of the spirit. If you're someone who's patient, you're going to experience more relational peace, which is going to give you more internal peace. Let's go ahead and look at what Paul says next in verse four. These are the famous verses. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, or we could say gentleness, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Some of my favorite passages. Do you realize the peace of God can guard your heart and your mind? like a fortress, the word is literally garrison, can set up a garrison against the attacks of anxiety and worry, can guard your heart and mind. Sometimes when my daughters are having trouble sleeping at night, I pray that the peace of God will guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And this, this, this other word, we looked at the word for peace is irene, the other word is anxiety. Uh, the Greek word is merimnao, and it means to be anxious, troubled or concerned. We could say it's anti-peace, the opposite of peace. The root word of merinao is merizo, which means to separate, to divide, or to cut into pieces. I can't think of a better description of anxiety than being cut into pieces on the inside. Can you? Does that, does that, not, does that not accurately describe what it feels like to feel anxious? Do you ever feel pulled in a million different directions? Where internally, whether it's the, the conflicting thoughts or the conflicting futuristic scenarios that you're worried about or maybe just the, the busyness and the stress, everything is pulling you a million different directions. It reminds me of Mary and Martha from Luke chapter 10. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. You're being divided. Your soul is being compartmentalized or fractured. And then he says, but one thing is necessary. You wanna know what that one thing is? 
The contrast from Martha in the kitchen, cooking, cleaning. She's doing good things. She's serving. She's busy serving, right? But she's anxious and troubled internally. She's being torn apart. And the one thing that is necessary is what her sister Mary was doing, which is sitting at the feet of Jesus. The one thing which is necessary is spending time with your Lord, is spending time with Jesus, being a disciple. I think Paul has that in mind when he, once again, brings us to that, that, that Jesus is coming back moment when he says, the Lord is at hand. Jesus is the king, and he's on the throne, and the king is coming back. And we might even translate that, not the Lord is at hand, but the Lord is near. And the closer you are to Jesus, the longer you sit at the feet of Jesus, do you realize the more you are clo- the, the, the closer you are to the Prince of Peace? That's a title for Jesus. The more you're going to absorb and experience some of that peace. And that's actually why prayer has so much power, is there's a recognition that the world is not in your hands. Because things feel out of control, don't they? Well, guess what? They are out of your control. How much power do you have over the situation in the Ukraine? How much power do you have to end the pandemic? How much power do you have to influence the global economy? 1%? So here's the point. When it's out of your control, talk to God who is in control. That's a reminder. Jesus is the king. He's coming back. He's on the throne. God is still in control. And so if there's something that you can do, like a relationship that you can reconcile, maybe spend a little bit more time dealing with that reconciliation instead of worrying about things that are totally out of your control. I mean, how much of the things that we worry about are the things we have 0% of an ability to change? We can say it like this. Do what you can do there's something unresolved to find peace and pray about what only God can do. And that's why it's described as the peace that surpasses understanding. You want to know another way to say that? The peace that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Why does it not make any sense? Because you can actually experience the peace of God even before there's resolution of the problem. Even in the midst of a tumultuous season, even in the midst of a war, even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of an economic crisis, you can experience the peace that surpasses understanding because prayer is actually a pathway that allows you to take your anxieties, hand them to God, and focus on the one thing which is necessary, connecting with Jesus, spending that quiet time with him. Paul continues in verse 8 and he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So here, what what Paul does at the end is he he gives us prayer. He gives us reconciliation of relationships, trusting God. And then he talks about our minds. And the reality is that the stress, the worry, the anxiety you feel in your heart, it really begins in your mind. It begins with your thoughts. 
And essentially, he says, change your mind. Well, how do you do that? Here's how I would say it. Focus your thoughts to change your mind. We have to focus your thoughts. Now, there's a difference between distraction, not distract your mind, play more video games, watch more TV, scroll on social media more. I mean, how much is that stuff actually contributing to the stress and the worry? Right? It's not helping. All the coping mechanisms of culture, they aren't actually doing anything to give us peace. And we started with the statistics that prove that. But we have to focus your mind, actually, on certain things. Not just avoid thinking about certain things. Focus your thoughts. And over time, your mind will change. Early in Philippians, what Paul has told us is we can actually have the mind of Christ. We can have the mind of Christ. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you, just run through this list and do kind of an audit on your thoughts. Things that you can ask yourself. It's the same list that, that Paul gives us of just these six things. The first one is true. Ask yourself this question. Is the, th- is the thought that you are thinking real or imaginary? And if you, even just this very first one, if you just use this as a filter for your thoughts, and you're like, wait, am I imagining a, a future problem that isn't here yet? Or is this actually a true problem that I'm dealing with today? Most of our anxieties would actually dissipate when we ask the question, is it true? Is this a true thing that I'm actually worried about? We need to fill and focus our mind on truth. And you can do this through reading scripture is a way to actually focus your mind on truth, the truth of God's word. You can also surround yourself with what I call truth tellers. Friends, family members, people in your life group who can actually call you out when the thing that you're thinking, the thought that you're thinking is not true. It's good for people to actually, uh, when you're sharing how you're doing, it's good for people to say, I just don't know if that's true. It seems like you might be imagining that problem. That's the first one. The second one is honorable. The way to say this is, is it wholesome or crude? Maybe think about this. If you, if you were able to broadcast your thoughts on a TV screen, would you let your kids watch it? Would you let your grandma watch it? <laughs> think about the things that you're thinking, the thoughts that you're thinking. Are they wholesome? Are they, are they hearty? Are they good? Right? Are they nutritious for your soul? Or are they depraved? Are they crude? Right? And so often we have these thoughts and we don't recognize actually the evil, wickedness, corruption, sin, it's actually hurting our soul, robbing us of peace. The next one is similar, just. The word literally could be translated as righteous. Is it righteous or evil? I would say it like this. Stop fantasizing about sin. Stop thinking about uh, things like jealousy or envy or having maybe revenge fantasies. Man, if I could only get back at that person. Those are actually things. When sin is in your life, it robs you of your peace. The next one is pure. Is it clean or dirty? Specifically, you know, we can look at lust and sexuality. Uh, People often give into those kinds of devices or coping mechanisms the more stressed that they are. But ironically, those are actually some of the things that that hurt your peace the most. And you feel worse afterwards, right? You feel more guilt. You feel more shame. Is it clean or is it dirty? The next one is lovely. This is more of a positive one. The word could be translated as beautiful. Is it beautiful or cringeworthy? 
Think about the thoughts that you put in your mind. And some of you are like, I just want to watch a ton of serial killer documentaries. Is it beautiful or cringeworthy, right? Fill your mind, put, put in front of your eyes, put in front of your ears something that's beautiful. Go for a walk and look at nature. It's beautiful. Look into someone else's eyes as you have a deep and meaningful conversation. Look at a good book. Listen to beautiful music. And that actually is a way of allowing God to, as you focus your thoughts, allowing God to change your mind and to rid you of anxiety and worry and stress and anger. And then the last one is commendable. Is it positive or is it overly negative? If you find yourself caught in some of those negative cognitive distortions, those lenses that we look at, if you have trouble seeing any good in the world, start thinking about things that are, that, that are positive. Not just like an empty positivity, but truly think about the good things. Write a list of blessings. Write a list of things you're thankful for. Spend time in prayer actually praising God for who he is. If there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, Paul says, think about those things. And as you think about those things, you focus your thoughts, you'll change your mind. You'll actually experience peace on a whole other level. Here's our main point for today. We get peace from God when we have peace with God. I love that title, that descriptor of God. And the God of peace will be with you. Maybe what you've been asking God for is a moment of peace, an hour of peace, a week of peace. But what if I told you that you could have the God of peace with you every moment of every day? And the closer you are, the Lord is near, the closer you are to the God of peace, the more you're going to experience the peace of God. This is really this principle, it's gonna be true of all of the fruit of the Spirit. The more you walk every single day by the Holy Spirit, the more you'll grow fruit in your life. And you could say it in the opposite though, you could say that it doesn't matter how at peace you feel on the inside, if you're not in a relationship of peace with God. That is the most important relationship to have reconciled in your life. The, the passage that Jake read earlier, Romans 5.1, I love this description of the gospel as a story of peace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, relational harmony with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there in Romans 5, Paul says, while we were weak, while we were sinners, and while we were enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. And that goes to show that it's not you making the first step back to God. It's God actually initiating that reconciliation. God is the one who makes peace available to you through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the son of God. He entered into our world. He lived a sinless life. He suffered and died on the cross for your sins and mine. And he rose from the grave so that we could be raised into a new life. And I'm here to tell you, today, you can have peace with God by receiving the gospel through faith, by putting your full trust and hope in Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you, we'd love to pray with you and talk with you. Uh, at the end of service, we'll have members of our prayer team down front, and we would love to walk alongside you as you pray today and ask God to forgive your sin and lead your life. 
And we always point people to that ceremony of baptism. Baptism is the way Jesus instructed us to declare our faith in him. If you have more questions or if you wanna sign up to get baptized, you can go to hillcityboise.org slash baptism. But when you have the God of peace with you, when that relationship is in check and secure, because it's not dependent on your performance, it's dependent on God's power, you can actually go through the worst that life has to offer. You can go through the craziest week, the craziest year, the most turmoil and suffering and tumultuous situations you can imagine because the God of peace will be with you through it all. And for some of you, you would say, well, okay, I, I, I am reconciled with God. I'm saved. I know I'm forgiven by God. I know I stand in grace. Why is my blood pressure high when I go to the dentist? <laughs> on a daily basis, let's get, you know, on a Tuesday, you know, Wednesday, like on a daily basis, what, can I still experience this? And I, I just want to point you to kind of the contingent promise that, that Paul says. He says, as I have taught you, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Do you catch that? Practice these things. Do you realize peace takes practice? And specifically what he's referring to is obeying God. We can say it like this, practice the way of Jesus. Practice the way of Jesus. It's foolish that we can think that we can, just, we can just not follow Jesus's way and experience the gifts that he has to offer us. Isn't that silly? We think that we can just you know, kind of live our lives our own way and the fruit of the spirit, God's just gonna magically grow those things. Paul says, practice these things. Practice the way of Jesus. Even if you're saved, if there is unconfessed sin, I can guarantee you that's robbing you of peace. Even if you're, you're a follower of Jesus, if there's even a good thing that God is calling you to that you keep kind of stiff-arming God, grieving the Holy Spirit of God, James, the brother of Jesus, says anyone who knows the good that you ought to do and you're not doing it, that's actually sin. If there's things that God is calling you to, the Holy Spirit, you better believe he's not gonna give you peace until you obey. Practice these things. Obey God. Sin always creates chaos in our souls. And then the other thing that we can take from this idea of practice these things is what we call spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. Those are essentially things that we do that connect us back to Christ. It's things like reading the Bible, things like prayer. This is going to be a theme of every single week of the fruit teaching series. We have to stay connected to Christ And we do that through these spiritual disciplines, through these practices, through being here in a worship gathering. Worship is a place where you can experience the peace that surpasses understanding. And I would just encourage you to make those things a consistent rhythm in your life because those are the practices that connect you to the God of peace. And the closer you are to the God of peace, the more you'll experience peace in your life. And I just wanna close by reading this invitation of Jesus and allow this to be the Spirit speaking the peace of God over you from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Invitation of Jesus himself. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, practice the way of Jesus, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.